Regarding intimacy, Pastor Xavier Reese says that if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh. All you young people, all you single people, as you call yourself a Christian, your sexual purity proclaims very clear and loudly the power of the gospel to transform you, giving evidence of redemption also for those who have failed. Because Christianity is a forgiving relationship, because the ability is not in the person, but in Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Since magazines, billboards, and television have all subscribed to the common strategy that sex sells, you're apt to get an eyeful in the advertisements of everything from automobiles to chewing gum. Well, the fact that advertisers have found a place for sex in their ads may not be news to anyone. But did you know that God, the Creator, also has a place for intimacy? Today, Pastor Xavier covers God's provisions concerning sex in a simple truth study from 1 Corinthians of the principles for married life. Let's listen. An Indiana woman is the one who holds the Guinness World Book of Records, most marriages. Um, she's, um, she's open to considering her 24th husband. She says, uh, I would get married again, she told the news service, because, you know, it gets lonely. This is the type of world we live in, that you can say stupid things like this and people will print it as a record and not even blink. Marriage will either be praised or spoken of in a very negative way, derogatory, depending on your experience that you've had in life. Some have had such a bad experience in marriage that they vow, I would never get married again, and they don't. Others have recognized their failure or the failure of the one they married, and they are attempting to be better prepared for a second marriage. And um, if they uh, do their homework and, and realize their failures, they may make a good go of it. But most of the time it doesn't happen because of bitterness, resentment, and the carryover value of comparisons and everything that happens. We're human beings. God made us one man for one woman. And yet others um, will confront the normal difficulties and problems of marriages and they will face it head on and they would have it no other way. That's non-believers as well as believers, but of course the non-believing number is decreasing more and more. Marriage works only as a Christian. Two is always, always better than one. It's real simple. But not all Christians have great marriages. So you have to be careful. Paul now speaks to the Corinthians about marriage, single life, and how each other can honor God in his service to God, regardless of their position. There's no excuse whether you're single, married, or divorced. You're still called to serve the Lord. Uh, so due to the immorality and debauchery of uh, Corinth, through the religious practices that were involved, a lot of sexual rites, and all through the temples of worship, there were many misconceptions um, and misunderstandings and confusions about the role of a man and a woman in marriage, and how sex and marriage, and if marriage was even the way, uh, in terms of uh, now coming out of a pagan culture. And so Paul gives to the Corinthians three principles regarding their sexual relationship in marriage, here in verses 1 through 9. Let me read for us. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of the sexual immorality, uh, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife 
the uh, affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am myself. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passions." Paul gives three principles here regarding their sexual relationship in marriage. They are as follows. First, verse 1 and 2, marriage is God's provision to avoid fornication. Second, verse 3 through 6, marriage is God's provision to attain sexual fulfillment. Three, 7 through 9, marriage is God's provision to avoid sexual lust. Listen carefully, verse 1 and 2. In verse 1, he says the Corinthians had written here to Paul asking him about some questions regarding marriage. Particularly here, should a man be involved sexually with a woman? Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. Now, the repeated phrase, now concerning, indicates with certainty some of the questions they had asked Paul. I don't think all of them, but we see this repeated throughout the chapter, from 7 all the way to the end of the book now. They asked him about marriage and sexual relationships, divorce, single life, and all the backdrop is the service of God in the entire chapter of 7. Now notice the Corinthians, in verse 1 here, asked Paul if it was good for a man to have sex with a woman. Is it good for a man to touch a woman? The apostle was addressing the problem of Corinth. Let's keep it in context regarding sexual immorality. It's Corinth that he's talking about. There are principles, but he's talking specifically to the people at Corinth of that day. Paul is not talking about mere physical touch of holding hands or anything like that. He's talking about sexual intercourse. This is a good time to show you you have to be careful of the translations if you try to study them, okay? But listen, the NIV interprets this verse. This is how it's written. And if you have an NIV, you'll know I'm reading it exactly as you have it. It is good for a man not to marry. What? How do you go? That's a huge leap. From prohibiting sexual immorality to teaching that marriage is prohibited? Wow. That's why I don't like the new translations, because they tweak the grammar and the intention. You have to be careful. Let's move on. That was just a footnote. <laughs> Paul has already spoken about the sin of incest in chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. You see, some believe that the appetite for food was legitimate. Stomach for food, food for the stomach, therefore the body for sex. No, no, no. Chapter 6, verse 13. You can't make that parallel. Paul rebukes them. Paul has already spoken to them about the fornication of prostitutes there at the uh, Temple of Aphrodite in chapter 6, verse 15 through 20. Because some of them believe that 
the body really is material, so it's evil, like the Gnostic heresies and philosophy and dualism. So really, you can do anything you want in your body while not affecting your spirit and soul, so you can have the best of two worlds. Well, when you, when you hear that lie, it's from hell. It's not biblical. The apostle tells him that it was not good, notice, for a man to have sex with a woman who was not his wife. This is the context. Paul is specific in his language. Don't miss it. The prohibitions to the man, who is by nature what? The initiator of sex. The word man, anthropos, is man in general instead of the specific word for husband at this point. The word for woman, indefinite noun, instead of the specific wife for now. But he's going to tie the specifics as he moves on what he's referring to. And the word touch is a euphemism used figuratively for sexual intercourse. He's already used it in chapter 5 with the young man with a stepmother. It's not, I've heard that, that, that there's a young man has his father's wife. So have means sexual intercourse. It's a euphemism for it, okay? It's just like touch here is, all right? Paul uses these words for the simple reason that he would be involved in sexual immorality and being married, he would be involved in adultery, making his body members of Christ and members of a harlot. Chapter 6, verse 15, at the same time. Becoming one body with the temple harlot, becoming one flesh. Chapter 6, verse 16, violating Genesis 2, 24, the marriage of woman with the husband. You understand? God instituted marriage, not man. Now, the apostle declared this moral instruction as good. Don't miss it. The word good, kalos, means good, excellent, and admirable for a man to be sexually pure. It is used for Paul's advice to the unmarried and widows in verse 8 of this chapter. Same word. It is used twice for Paul's advice to virgins due to the present distress, the coming persecution in verse 26. The instruction is what pleases God, first of all. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, he said in 1 Corinthians 6.13. Every sin that a man does is without the body, or outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, 6.18. Now, the instruction would benefit the church indirectly, being known as a place of holiness, giving evidence of their faith and the power to live it out. All you young people, all you single people, as you call yourself a Christian, your sexual purity proclaims very clear and loudly the power of the gospel to transform you, to make you a child of God, giving evidence of redemption also for those who have failed because Christianity is a forgiving relationship. This standard is always to be proclaimed by every believer in the church regardless whether we have failed in that standard ourselves before coming to Christ. We are not the standard. We proclaim it boldly, expecting it for those who are Christians because the ability is not in the person, but in Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. I am not the standard. If I fail or you fail, who cares? We still proclaim it now that we're Christians because that's the standard. Look at verse 2. The Corinthians were told by Paul that the solution to sexual immorality is marriage. Don't miss that. 
The reason for the advice for sexual purity was due to the many sexual vices at Corinth. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, the Greek reveals the clear contrast between the counsel that he's giving and the practice at Corinth. The word nevertheless, because of, but on account of fornication. The word but there marks the sharp contrast of their sexual purity to the impurity of the city. The phrase sexual immorality is in the plural, emphatic with the article, affirming the multitude of acts of fornication that would result if marriage was prohibited or ceased. Wow. Marriage is God's solution. He's made you sexual. We'll get into the gift. If you don't have the gift, then you don't need to be married. But you, he made you sexual. He gave you the, 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 all the equipment for sex. And it all works. You don't have to try it out. They were to be sexually pure and not involved in any of the sexual rites of the religious prostitutes of Aphrodite or the temple of Apollos for homosexuality. Notice the prescription of marriage is one man and one woman. Don't miss it. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. To have is another euphemism for sexual intercourse. Again, it's used in 1 Corinthians 5.1 for the young man with his stepmother. This is the command after the design and creation of God. Each possessing each other as their own, an equal person, but distinct in design and roles according to Genesis 2, 18-25. Get your women's lib out of your mind. You're equal before God throughout this passage, but you're different in, in role and design, and it never means inferiority. The world will pit you against the Bible principles. It will seek out your sin nature to take your part with them and rebel against God. You get to choose what you're going to do. The imperative is to each one stated twice, Referring back to verse 1, qualifying the man and the woman as husband and wife. Now, the imperative command, notice, is specific with the article. Their own wife and husband, one of the opposite sex. The wife, the, the word there, a female, and the word husband, a male, as ordinary and ordained by God in the law of nature for the contentment and continuation of the human race. Natural law dictates this union of male and female, not two males, not two females. Simple. Natural law. You ever read John Law? The Federalist Papers? Our Constitution is based on natural law. You're endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's natural law. No one endows me the right to defend myself or to pursue happiness or life. It's not given to me by government or anybody else. I'm endowed with it by God. That's what our Constitution is based on. This is natural law, male and female, to be content and procreate. Simple. The remedy for physical sexual immorality and perversion is a monogamous marriage. But it has no solution for lust, as we'll see in our third point. That takes place in the heart and the mind. All right? People have many legitimate questions when they first come to Christ due to the immoral and perversion of the world today. Now, as we make 
this conversation and talk about it is if you're a Christian, you have no condemnation. The past is buried. Okay? If you're still dealing with this stuff, then you have to deal with it. But only in Christ can you be forgiven and be made new. Very important. Some of the questions people have is they say, well, isn't our love good enough for us that we've pledged to each other? We really have to get married? Can we just live together? No. You live together, you're living in fornication. God made you for marriage. Simple. You're rebelling against God. Do I have to marry the person I gave my virginity to? No. Unless you love them and they love you. And if you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, it's not going to work. Because you've got a bad start. Do I have to marry the man who got me pregnant? Or does the man have to marry the woman that he gets pregnant? No. But if you love each other, it's the best for each other and the best for the child that's coming in. But it's only going to work in Christ. You understand? Not all Christians are obedient. But it will work in Christ if you die to self. There's a solution. Others will say, what's so good about having to wait to have sex for the first time in marriage? I tell you what, you come to your honeymoon bed with a clean and peaceful conscience, having pleased God, and now your husband and wife. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, is repeated throughout it. It says, I charge you, O daughter of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. It's talking about the honeymoon night. No fornicator will enter the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. If you're living in fornication, you need to repent. You will never inherit the kingdom of God. Marriage is God's provision to avoid fornication. Secondly, verse 3 through 6. Marriage is God's provision to attain sexual fulfillment. Verse 3, the apostle declared the personal sexual responsibility of husband and wife. Note this carefully. Paul first addresses the husband about his obligation. Obligation to be attentive to meet the sexual needs of his wife. Let the husband render to the wife the affection due her. The head of the home must render, deliver, or discharge that due to the other. The word is an imperative present active. The husband is commanded to submit to his wife sexually. You think you wouldn't have to say that? But you do, because some people get married and they don't keep the garden blossoming. But they let weeds take over. The word is used for a debt. Wages, tribute, taxes, things promised under an oath. The context is conjugal duty. And I'm using strong language. I'm on duty. The phrase do her refers to what is owed by the husband as a contracted debt to the wife. Marriage without sex is unnatural. Marriage without sex is unbiblical. Marriage without sex is insanely destructive. But the marriage of intimacy is not to be some cold mechanical duty, biting the bullet. All right, let's get it over. No, something's wrong. Now, I'm going to talk to you gentlemen first. You guys tell me how much you love God. If you're not living with your wife sexually the way you should, then you're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. Because if your relationship is right with God, it's going to be right with your wife. And this is the natural outflow. You understand me? All right? And when your relationship section is not right with your wife, it's because your heart's not right. There's bitterness, there's resentment, there's unforgiveness, there's something wrong. So don't be telling me you love God. All right? It's just a lie. Now, we understand medical problems. We understand difficulties of age. 
We're not talking about that. He's talking to people who are married and are willing and able. You understand me? So let's be clear this morning what we're talking about. The obligation was understood when he asked her to marry him. The, ob- the participation was placed at the altar. And the cohabitation brought forth children. The obligation never ceases. Paul then addressed the wife about her obligation to be attentive to meet the sexual needs of her husband. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The imperative command again is to the wife, exactly the same as her husband, to render, deliver, discharge what is due to the other. The wife is commanded to submit to her husband sexually. The context again is conjugal duty. This is do him, again refers to what is owed by the wife as a contracted debt to the husband. Marriage without sex again is unnatural. Marriage without sex is unbiblical. Marriage without sex is insanely destructive. Again, ladies, if you constantly have a headache, take an aspirin. Men, when she has a headache, be sensitive. Simple. The obligation of the wife is to meet the intimate needs of her husband for life. This obligation was understood by her when she agreed to marry him. Ladies, notice sex is before you're married, not after. This participation was placed at the altar. This celebration was a joy at the honeymoon. This cohabitation brought forth children. This obligation never ceases. Look at four. The wife is not to deny her husband's sex. He hits it to reinforce it. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. The word authority means to have or to say or to have full and entire authority over her body. In the negative means she does not. Now the world will tell you, ladies, it's your body. It is not your body if you're married. A wife has no right to deny her husband's sexual relationship due to her marriage. Listen, responsibility. This is the indicative present again. A woman gives up her right to say no when she says, I do, at the altar. This, of course, does not allow or command a husband to force his wife. If you love each other, you're sensitive, you grow, you're moving forward. Now, a husband, notice, is not to deny his wife. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So he hits everything he hits, he hits on both sides. The husband can only deny his wife sexual relationships. Never. That's when. Never. But must submit to her as the head of the home. He alone is responsible for the sexual contentment of his wife. The same verb is used for the husband, indicated by the word likewise. In the same way, the same manner as his wife, a radical departure from the culture. Radical. The man's submission does not violate his headship at all nor make him less of a man. In fact, it makes him a godly man. It makes him what is a man. You understand? Mutual, equal before God, equal authority over each other, distinct in design and purpose. Wow. Pastor Xavier Reese. 
drawing to a close the first half of a study drawn from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on the principles of intimacy in married life. And this message, along with all our most recent broadcasts, are available online to listen again anytime with the click of a mouse on the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. CD copies of today's important study, simply called Sex and Marriage, are available as well for just $4. And this message will contain everything that Pastor Xavier has planned to share with us next time as well. The title to ask for once again is Sex and Marriage, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. The Bible has many guidelines and warnings about indulging in sex outside the context of marriage. But did you know about God's many provisions for a man and wife to take pleasure and enjoy intimacy? Pastor Xavier Reese has the simple truth next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com